0: Kia ora greetings, and um, thank you for inviting us to this seminar, and on behalf of both Kerry and myself, um, we're delighted to be here. Now, we framed our presentation around the research process to some extent, but embedded within the story is a much broader story of an iconic Kiwi institution that, from the start, has been about the endeavours of women, to reform society through political lobbying and winning the hearts and minds of the New Zealand population, and that took some doing at times, revolutionising education, just as much as it has been about the plays of children and the nature of childhood. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about the project and show you some of the imagery in the book that we found and introduce one very feisty lady from the post-war years, Then going back in time to the early years of kindergarten, Kerry's going to take two case study kindergarten women who in many ways characterise the network of connections of kindergarten activity. Very few of the people who've been active in kindergarten are just kindergarten. They're kindergarten and, and, and. And it's that story we think we'll sort of come across. So... I want to make some links with women's suffrage, and let's start with Friedrich Froebel, who founded the kindergarten in Turinga, Bad Blankenburg, in 1837, very much the back blocks in the, what was the old East Germany, well before any suffrage campaign. So kindergarten wasn't initially linked there, and far distant from New Zealand. But his insisting on the radical idea, and it was at the time, of trained specialist women Kindergarten teachers started something bigger, more bigger than he ever imagined. Freudel himself unfortunately died a broken man in 1852, and this was after the kindergarten was banned in the German states as having subversive members, being linked to revolution, although Froebel himself was not so much part of that, but certainly some of his relatives were. It was deemed too radical, and the supporters of the revolution who had been involved in kindergarten fled Germany, some of them did, took the idea with them through Europe, United Kingdom, United States. And so kindergarten by this time became part of the 19th century social revolutions and education revolutions internationally. And we have to say thank you if the the Prussian state had not banned kindergarten, it may never have left there, but it did. So it landed in this country in the 1870s as part of what we could call and has been called um, the settler revolution and established in a network of infant schools, not as kindergarten but it was the visit of Mary Levitt of the United States from the Women's Christian Temperance Union to New Zealand in 1885, that led to the establishment of the New Zealand branch of the Women's Christian Temperance Union. And this sparked the idea of free kindergartens. And the 1887 minutes of the Auckland branch of the Women's Christian Temperance Union refers as concerned about the streets of Auckland swarming with children aged two to five who need attention. The same women's interest in Women's Christian Temperance Union were interested in the support of kindergarten and education for girls and women's suffrage. So this crisscross of relationships is something that Kerry has traced in various research studies, and you're going to get a sense of it later. Now, the photograph there is probably the worst quality photograph in the whole book, but it is the very earliest photo we can find of kindergarten in New Zealand and um, it was found for this book, and I've been searching for years, and every now and then something pops up. And we can see that despite the myths and the views of many that Dunedin began the kindergarten movement, that is absolutely wrong. It began in Auckland, um, but it didn't survive there. It went to Dunedin. So Kerry and I have undertaken a number of historical journeys across the sites and archives of the kindergarten world. Here we are at a very important place in Kielhau, way up the top of a hill, looking down at Bad Blankenburg, where it is reported. Frederick Feuble says, ha ha. I'm going to call it a kindergarten. And they built those kindergarten blocks there. But the idea of a New Zealand kindergarten history project began in 2015 in conjunction with New Zealand kindergarten. Can I acknowledge Claire Wells, chief executive officer of this organisation? It was previously the New Zealand Free Kindergarten Union, the national umbrella organisation for kindergarten. That is in its centennial decade as an organisation. And thus began three, projects still underway. Investigating kindergarten history, it's about rediscovering of the past because it gets forgotten, it's about rethinking where we position the past and preserving it. Now these projects were also about repositioning what is kindergarten in New Zealand, early childhood education, landscape and New Zealand society today and what will it be in the future. And to do that kind of analysis and moving forward, you've got to address your past, bring it with you, rethink it. So this is what it has been, bringing this rich history, from the regions, cities and towns. Now, internationally, kindergarten has a trajectory that is very interesting. Many countries have had a kindergarten movement, but very few of them still have an independent kindergarten movement. Many of them got amalgamated into public education systems and lost the name of kindergarten, got invent- reinvented as other things. In New Zealand, we're one of the few countries in the world that has an independent National kindergarten movement still there, and I say that every time I go to Germany, and you sort of get what well, you do, we do so. The first project was our website, presenting history differently through documents, artefacts, objects, so this is going with the times. The website here is seen arranged around these themes, and and these are exemplars that are in the website at present. It's an ongoing project based on the archives so far trawled, and there's so much more that can be done. And so while the task is to move forward to the future... We want to be in the kindergarten movement enriched, but not constrained by our history, but enriched by it. And we've got a mission to preserve kindergarten history. So much gets lost. Not everybody keeps their children's paintings and their clay and everything like that, but there is much that we can preserve. So just to give you a few of the artefacts that are on this website, just some exemplars, Beautiful oil paintings, which is on the wall in Professor Carmen Dali's office, or it was for many times for our Institute of Early Childhood, of Joyce Barnes, a a significant Wellington kindergartner. Um, Wonderful. We found beautiful photograph albums stuffed away in cupboards that have come out, and we've been able to have them copied and put up there. Um, Kindergarten cookbook. When I was doing the research for this, I got very annoyed when I put into the National Library search kindergarten books, etc., and up came at least 200 or more kindergarten cookbooks, and I was really cross because they're not what I was looking for until I decided. Just a minute, Helen, you're an historian. If cookbooks is what it is, cookbooks is what it has to be. So I called for them, and people up in the ATL, Alexander Turnbull Library, very nicely bought them out for me en masse to look at and photograph some of the titles. And so just some wonderful imageries. A lovely picture up here where at a kindergarten... They are, it's huge numbers of people with a, with a trolley race, and they're raising, raising money with hundreds of people there for a cassette recorder. <laughs> so, times have passed. The second part of the project has been the book publication, and in recent years there's been a flurry of kindergarten publications, mainly by associations, but also some delightful histories about individual kindergartens. But the national story has been very scantily told. And so our book is taking this national story as significantly a political story. We decided that one needed to be written about selling the idea, galvanising a movement, engaging over the decades with the state for recognition, for funding, being in battle, being friends. And It's also about being able to position itself as an organisation for changing political times. And this organisation has survived because it has made those hard decisions. Not always perfectly at times, but it has survived. And it's from being totally on the outside of the education system, a sort of a revolutionary kind of institution, it has become mainstream which began as the inner city poor, to a Kiwi icon in every town, city, and suburb of New Zealand. So what I thought I would do for the last few minutes of my presentation, last part of my presentation, is to show you some of the images. And this first collection here show you the Froebel curriculum in place in New Zealand. And so far away as you could get, teachers here, the first kindergartners, were implementing the Froebel curriculum with the building blocks, gardens, movement, song and dance, and the craft occupations. And these are just one example from each of those main domains. But although by the time the kindergarten arrived in New Zealand, the curriculum was broadening, and the New Zealand kindergartners certainly did that too, but they still kept those that original, you know, they still kept the original Froebel Kindergarten, and you can go into kindergartens today, and this is part of a study I did in Dunedin um, for their 125th anniversary, I think it was, And, um, and we find that in Dunedin still, as in many other kindergartens, you will see these same activities and domains still happening. And so updated, but... Our current book, I think, is revealing of this too. Now, each chapter in the book has a collection of images because you can't really tell the political story about kindergarten unless you tell the pedagogical story, but we haven't detailed that in text. We've shown it through the images. And so each chapter, which sequences in time, gives you a bit of a sense of what are the plays of children. You can see here the very first jungle gym in New Zealand, um, in a kindergarten in Dunedin. But you can also see this wonderful image at, at a uh, Tauranga Kindergarten of the children with water play with the Power shells. That is quintessential Aotearoa, New Zealand, Water Play Kindergarten. Um, And I love this one down here. The children are just having fun, just piling on top of each other. For whatever purpose, it's good fun. And you can notice up there the Froebel blocks have been replaced, and this is early in 1916 by much bigger blocks. Kindergarten teachers are a key part of the story. And the whole kindergarten movement... Um, you can see this diversification of who could be a kindergarten teacher from, in early years in New Zealand, you really needed to be in a private school, of the right private school with parents who could afford you to go there and help sustain you because there wasn't much salary in it, to the first girls that came in from state schools across the railway lines to the first Māori teachers, to the first men kindergarten teachers and establishing the infrastructure of a kindergarten profession. Which it is today, and this has involved advocacy, and as we will see later on, also protest. It never happened easily. Kindergartens trained their own teachers up until the nineteen seventies, because nobody else would. Um, and, but the work of kindergartens has been absolutely teachers has been crucial in you know in, in terms of. Um, inner cities, working in the inner city um, with children with poor health, slum housing. It was a very different trajectory to school teaching. Kindergartens have worked with families from the beginning in many different ways. They've always been a hub of community activity. We see here our Dunedin picture of Matariki, Fish and Chip Night Matariki, just a few years ago, through to 1908. This is a New Year's Day picnic for all the Dunedin children and the beneficiaries of kindergarten um, in Dunedin uh, back in 1908. And this lovely image up the top there of the Mother's Clubs, which were the fundamental glue which funded and supported kindergartens through many decades. Not so, they're not used to the same extent now. And you start in the 1960s, starting to get the first men being brought into kindergarten to have Father's Day. Actually, it's a bit earlier than the 60s in the 50s. And so they're always put at the woodwork table... (laughs) Kindergarten buildings. In the early years, kindergartens were makeshift buildings. This started to change in the 20th century. The rich who endowed kindergartens, like Rachel Reynolds in Dunedin, Myers in Auckland. And you start to get some interesting architecture, thinking about the plays of children and about the well-being of children. The very first open-air school building is always said to be um, Fendleton School in Christchurch, wrong it was the same architect but it was actually 1923 a kindergarten in Christchurch and that gets written out of the history books it was a kindergarten first and you see this open air building through to some quite modernist ones until recently fundraising was at the core of kindergarten operations hugely creative they raise money, these ladies did it. And we can just see a few scenarios there of, um, of kindergarten fundraising. But also the opening of a kindergarten was a major community event, and we can see one up there. Um, but this is the modern look of kindergartens. This is um, Dunedin Kindergarten Association on the road right now. Kindergarten celebrations are central to its identity. When you look at the photograph albums of most kindergartens, it's the Christmas parties and the Father Christmas and the Easter party, which actually dominate the imagery. And I, I was again getting somewhat annoyed. I want to see the children, the pedagogy. And then you start to realise, no, this is the story. It is about celebration. And it's about cultural transmission. And the context of that has shifted so dramatically in the New Zealand setting. The, this wonderful image up there is the occasion of George the sixth coronation, and the children set up a coroner had a coronation carriage. Mm-hmm. Now it might appear from these images that being political and protesting strategies were developed in just recent years. To some extent, yes, but kindergartners from the beginning have used every strategy appropriate. To raise money, to advocate for children, for teachers, for the institution of kindergarten. Now, in early times, the photographs don't exist but the records of the meetings do, the delegations and the submissions. These people were indomitable, they were intrepid, they were persistent, and they were fearless. They might have been dressed up with their handbags and um, hats and fur coats and whatever, but they were intrepid. And these attributes are kindergarten tradition, going right back to Froebel's first kindergarten teachers, although he didn't realise quite what he unleashed. And so these images are just pulling together some of the elements of being kindergarten, being a kindergartner, and the environment of kindergarten. And to conclude my presentation, let me introduce Laura Ingram, actually, who does have an entry in the New Zealand Dictionary of Biography. But in the book, we include a number of sort of inset biographies of some interesting kindergartens. and we could have done a lot more on them, but there's about six in the book. Now, M. Laura Ingram was a larger-than-life character. She actually uh, she was the infant mistress at Motueka School, um, and on the occasion of her of the set, the ending of the Second World War, she is reported to, and it's a, it is in the Dictionary of Biography, she praded dressed up as Winston Churchill and his cigar on the roof of the Motueka Post Office, and all the Motueka population cheered this was this was this kind of lady absolutely fantastic she wanted a kindergarten in the town, she got a kindergarten in the town and became its president for many years. But she became the president of the New Zealand Free Kindergarten Association at a time of huge expansion, up to 75 separate associations. And during her time, she established 152 kindergartens. Now, we don't see much of her presence in photographs, But where you go, you go international Archives, or you can go into the archives here or into the kindergarten, our own archives at NZK, and you will see folders of telegrams and more telegrams, submissions, stern letters, reports to government demanding this. And if she didn't get a reply, she went one step higher. So she'd start at the lowest level, and she would go right up to the prime minister. And that was fortunate because she was the sister-in-law of... um, of um, Holyoke, um, our, our prime minister, but she, one occasion, 1975, she absolutely she went to the top. She upbraided the kindergarten associate, the, um, the government, because they were funding an early child. The kindergarten union was spot funding an early childhood convention, and she had asked for ten thousand dollars, and she didn't get it. She got two. That was not going to work. And so she wrote to, and I'll quote you, she says, She says, you are giving $10,000 to a small group of men whose hobby is climbing mountains, and not even in our own country. This is Edmund Hillary. In the light of this, one is entitled to think seriously whether your government's stated priority of preschool education is of prime importance. I will be most interested to hear the importance you place on such a convention. We have 800 participants, including France, Canada, Australia and the Islands. She got her money. <laughs> but... But Laura Ingram might have distanced herself and the kindergarten movement from women's liberation politics, but she knew how to press political buttons, and so we pay tribute to her. So Kerry is now going to take over with two more stories.
1: Thank you, right, Thank you. I'm Kerry Bassel. Um, Helen talked about kindergarten as being a predominantly female profession, um, and it certainly is although I would like to acknowledge the role of men historically in kindergarten as well. Um, But women's views and aspirations have been hidden by a long history of neglect and are largely unknown or trivialised. Furthermore, when acknowledged, women's contributions have been typically analysed in terms of charitable and philanthropic work. Women's own ideas and theories about kindergarten have attracted little historical interest from early researchers of educational processes. So about two decades ago, I decided I'm going to take this on. Um, I like doing biographical research. and I like doing it on individual women from their perspective. So the women are the subjects. So as well as that, um, I started, I live in Palmerston North. I started off with Mary Richmond. And so I've been studying Mary Richmond on and off for two decades now. Um, And I have been very fortunate because at one point in her life, towards the end, no, it was in the middle of her life, her father declared that it would be Mary's job to actually gather together all the family records to prepare them for submission to the uh, Turnbull Library, the National Library. So there is an awful lot of Richmond Atkinson material in this library, and towards the end of her younger sister's life, Emily was tasked with submitting Mary's papers in here. So we are rich in the material that we've got, which is very, very unusual. Um, Most of the women I study even their names are not known, and to put their lives together is like doing a jigsaw puzzle that is never, ever completed, and it doesn't have a box with the picture on the top. (laughs) Okay, so it's very difficult. So I really want to acknowledge, because I have come from Palmerston North down here many times up here, up the stairs, and spent many hours here, and found an awful lot of material. So the two women I want to talk about is Mary Elizabeth Richmond um, and one of her cousins, Rachel Mary Richmond, and their two work. Okay, but I also want to acknowledge um, secondary sources because when I'm starting to find out information about women, I have a research reference collection. And these books here are key books. The two Richmond Atkinson um, records, which were done by one of the librarians of the National Library or the Turnbull Library, Um, $90 they cost me about two decades ago, which was an awful lot of money, but I've read every single page um, in those two volumes. Francis Porter's born to New Zealand, I've read about four times and done something unusual and that is to actually write in them. So all these books have been very useful as research books and I just wanted to acknowledge it. Um, So what do I do when I sort of come across a name that looks interesting? The phase one is to name and identify teachers. So sometimes the names aren't even known. I've got to find names. So I get the names. Once I've got them, I start to identify who they are and where they belong. And I do that by simply going through all the books I can find, all the papers passed, and then just listing, making um, timelines, and just sort of gathering up bits and pieces until stories start to emerge... And you can start making links and see where they belong to, who they talk to, and finally accumulate enough that I can start writing a story. But that work never finishes. And one of the reasons why I chose the two women today was that I keep thinking I've finished writing them. I've done my brief biographies, they can, or I've written articles about them, and then I find something brand new absolutely new, um, and need to start again. So it's an ongoing process, and it's very partial. um, And it's my interpretation. So, um, up in Taranaki, there is a house that's now called Richmond Cottage. It was called Beach Cottage. It was one of the first cottages to be built, um, and it was built by the Atkinsons and Richmonds. together and the family that came over members came over at different times to New Zealand so Mary Richmond's mother and her father came over with a couple of other family members and three weeks later were down in New Plymouth um, and one week after that their baby was born and that was Mary Richmond and so she was born in that cottage their firstborn child, this is the baby, and her father, um, Christopher William, who became, was a lawyer and became a judge, in the, a Supreme Court judge in New Zealand. The families within the Richmond Atkinsons often move from place to place for different reasons, so they didn't stay there long. Um, and then later, in 1878, Rachel Mary Richmond was born to a brother of Christopher William. Um, It was his second marriage, and the child was the second daughter of the second marriage. So although these two are cousins, there's quite an age gap in them. Um, Rachel's father ran a school. Um, Truby King was one of his pupils, Um, and later he became a lawyer, and they started. Um, Her mother, Emma, was the first woman to go on the Taranaki Education Board and I think the first one also to go on the hospital board and did a lot of other work. So both these women are immersed from the start in um, understandings about social reform and about education. Um, Mary Richmond was put in the position as the the eldest child of being the daughter of the house, which meant that she had the responsibility um, when her mother, who was not the best of housekeepers and was very occupied, as you'll see in a minute, um, really needed support. So it confined Mary to the home. She also missed out as the first and the eldest on education beyond the home. She was tutored. Okay, but nonetheless, she learned a lot from her father and she was very close to her father. So there is the Richmond family, she's the eldest of nine children. Um, and Emily here, is Emily and Mary end up spending many years together um, on their own. Anna is ill um, and eventually dies. Margaret is able to do what Mary can't do and go to university um, and various other things. So, She's stuck at home. Well, she chooses to be at home. She's very proud of what she achieved, but she's still yearning. So she's self-teaching herself at home. She writes poetry, does various other things. But when her father dies, that gives her a chance to do other things. Um, so in, she goes over to the Froebel Institute in England, um, is there for three months and comes back again, full of the joys of for all, um, Well, she left with the joys of all, but just reinforced it. Um, she opens up kindergartens, um, private kindergartens, and then she opens up her own Free Kindergarten Association and started off the Wellington Free Kindergarten Association. Um, she packs her executive with expert female teachers. Um, there was a male advisory group, which they needed, um, but she was very insistent, quite different to other associations, that they were to be women and they were to be um, female teachers in Wellingtons. Um, she did four... Yeah. Um, so this is what she said about her father... He was a leader I could follow with my whole heart, and since his death, I've become a leader myself. Um, As you can see, begins my kindergarten. Eight pupils. Um, She does a lot of travelling. About every decade, she goes travelling to the UK. Um, Thank you. Um, And it seems to, when she's on her travels, she's a different Mary Richmond than what she says and what she does in New Zealand. And she's talking to a different audience and she's a different being and she's in a different climate. So she's far more political when she's away. Um, She went to, in 1907, to Boston, to a large conference with 2,000 people. And you can see in that one just how much respect she had um, in that they allowed her to present two invited addresses. She attends an invitation only luncheon, one of five. Um, but, and there's a group of it. Um, there are some of the other organisations she was also involved in. Mary Richmond was her cousin. Mary Richmond um, went to secondary school. Um, her mother signed the 19, 1893 petition. Um, and she starts. She and her sister and Esther Barber start a school, which was the old fire station. Um, And then later, the top floor was put on, and the building has been moved across the road. So she started there in the kindergarten. Um, This is the only photo that I have got. She goes off to the um, Froebel Educational Institute, completes the two year course. Um, She writes a very interesting article about the story of New Zealand, teachers, turns down jobs, including one at the College of Education as the kindergarten uh, mistress, and comes home and starts working with Miss Barbara again um, until she marries. Now, in Hawke's Bay, which is where they moved to, um, where I lived for 20 years, very small place... Um, population only about 600 and she sets up a school, the school is connected to one of the private schools in Havelock North, Um, she takes pupils, she's there for a number of years, Um, that is the house as it currently is at the moment, it's really lovely but there are extensions to accommodate all the children and all the boarders. she moves from there into an interest in Steiner work um, and is eventually involved in the Steiner community um, and doing a lot of work there. Um, then um, she gets into kindergarten, the free kindergarten in Hastings and becomes part of their um, committee um, and does it for a couple of decades. Um, and She's 73 and she's still... Going in and holding weekly tutorial lessons for their teachers. Um, um, she also keeps in touch with Mary Richmond. These are some letters, that, these late letters, the only letters I've found with her, between her and Mary Richmond. But she talks to Mary about what she's doing. Um, she, and in 44 she goes back and says, I'm a new <coughs> chum again. Um, she goes to England as well. Um, Oh, Mary Richmond, in 1914, goes again to England. She goes every decade, um, but this time she stays away right through to the 1927. And Frances Porter writes um, that she joined the Kensington Society for Female Suffrage and went on lecture tours for the British League of Uta- Unitarians and other liberal Christian women. Um, I have found further information that she was, not it said she was the president, of the, I haven't had it confirmed, of the British Dominion Women's Citizens Union. So I thought, here's my next project. <laughs> so next year when I go to England, I shall go and follow up on that. Um, so in summary, they were both social activists and educational leaders. They retained a close cultural and personal links with UK and Europe. They made trips across to enhance the connections and to build new ones. Deeply committed, they were both very um, spiritual people um, and committed to the intellectual advancements, as well as to the provision of alternative educational systems. Um, Um, They also had the life circumstances and the political climate that aided that journey and strong kindred networks that provided the support. So they needed that to be able to do what they wanted to do. Okay, thank you.